Oh God, the, the mystery, the infinity of mercy. How could we ever possibly wrap our finite minds around so great a truth? We're trying, Father. We're trying hard this season. We're coming back to mercy over and over again. And mercy keeps running after us today with mercy's teaching today. Remind us that there is always room for one more sinner on your pew. In Christ Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. I'm going to show you a picture in just a moment of somebody. I'm going to ask you if you can recognize who this somebody is. It has been reputed. All right, this is the little hint. It has been reputed, reportedly, this somebody once owned the estate at the end of Kephart Lane here in Berrien Springs, Michigan. All right? Now, you old timers are saying, oh, yeah, I know. All right? So let's take a look at this somebody, reputedly once in our town, and let's see if we recognize him. You recognize him? Oh, come on. The notorious 1920s and 1930s Mob gangster named Alphonse Capone. Chicago Tribune just a few days ago ran a piece on Al Capone. Included in it were these unenviable highlights from his police rap sheet. Let me run a few of these by you. Born Alphonse Capone, January 17, 1899, Brooklyn, New York. At the age of 14, he quit school, joined the notorious Five Points Gang in Manhattan. While working as a bouncer and a bartender at the seedy little Harvard Inn in Brooklyn, he got into a fight with one of the patrons, scarred up his face, and hence his nickname, Scarface. In 1919, the New York gang war heated up and Capone moved to the Windy City and he became one of our own, Chicago. Capone went to work for the crime boss, John Torrio. By 1922, Capone had risen to the number two position in the mob in Chicago. When Torrio left town in uh, 1925. Capone took over, controlling the speakeasies, the bookie joints, the gambling houses, the brothels, the racetracks, the distilleries. Remember, that's during the Prohibition when they were bootlegging alcohol and other businesses. He ran them all. February 14, 1929, Capone reportedly ordered the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. You've heard of that? Six members of the rival Bugs Moran's mob were gunned down. Capone said, I didn't do it. His alibi, he was in Florida, and he really was. By 1930, at the peak of his power, Al Capone was declared Chicago's public enemy number one. Ended up on Time magazine. In 1931, Capone indicted for income tax evasion. The jury found him not guilty on 18 of the 23 charges. He was sentenced to 10 years in federal penitentiary, first in Atlanta. You've heard of this place, Alcatraz. There he went. He was released in November 16, 1939, returned home to Palm Island in, in Florida. Capone's health rapidly deteriorated. He suffered from a syphilis-related complication, probably contracted syphilis while he was young. He died a powerless recluse on January 25, 
1947, at home in bed, and he is buried in the Mount Carmel Catholic Cemetery in West Suburban, Illinois, Chicago. He's saying, please, Pastor, all this fuss about Al Capone. What's up? I tell you what's up. It's his gravestone. Thanks to my friend Bob Little, I have a picture of his gravestone, and I want you to see it. I'll put it on the screen for you right now. There it is. Alphonse Capone. 1899 to 1947, and then this prayer, my Jesus, mercy. Quite a prayer to pray. I mean, you think about it. My Jesus, mercy. When you're a public enemy number one, bootlegging, gun-toting, scar-faced, syphilis-infected mobster, wouldn't you say that's a prayer to pray? My Jesus, mercy. I mean, come on. You don't suppose God would dare to have mercy on such a reprobate sinner as Al Capone, do you? Open your Bible, please, with me to Al Capone's two-word prayer. Four times in one gospel, this two-word prayer that Al Capone prayed. And every time it is prayed, every time it is prayed, mercy comes a-running. Hallelujah. Which, by the way, if I might move to the punchline rather early in the teaching, ought to be reason enough for you to you and me to earnestly latch on to this prayer and pray it for the rest of our lives. Two-word prayer. Four stories, two words, one prayer. We're going to look for it. In this particular teaching series, we're only in one book, so we'll go to that one book. It's the book of Matthew. That's our, our theme book for this series, When Mercy Came A-Running. Open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of Matthew. Four stories. We're looking for a two-word prayer. Just one prayer. First story, Matthew chapter 9. By the way, if you didn't bring a Bible, grab the Bible right in front of you in the pew rack. We're going to read these in rapid-fire succession. Four stories. You've got to read the stories for yourself. Grab the Bible. Pew Bible page number would be 655. And this is Matthew chapter 9. So I'm finding it with you. New King James Version, which I'll be reading from. Those of you watching on television, that's what you'll be reading on the screen. And that's our pew Bible, as it turns out. Matthew chapter 9, let's drop down to verse 27. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out. By the way, isn't that something? You can be blind and follow Jesus. Isn't that great? You can be blind and follow Jesus. You can follow Jesus and still be blind, by the way. Either way you look at it, it's good news. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind man came to him, Jesus, and Jesus said to them, Hey, do you believe I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, sir, I believe it. Verse 29, Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were open. Whose face did they see first? You know, that's a good way to begin every day, isn't it? The first face you see every day. Let it be the face of Jesus. First face they see, and it's Jesus. And their eyes were open, and Jesus sternly warned them. Jesus was not a masochist. He was not looking for trouble. He said, I am trying to stay out of trouble. Don't tell anybody what I've done to you. I don't want a premature death. So Jesus sternly warns them in, uh, in uh, what verse is this? He sternly warns them in verse 30 to see that no one knows it. Verse 31. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. You know why? Because when mercy has just come running to you, you can't help but go running with the good news. That's a mystery of mercy. Once you have it, you've got to share it. 
Okay, story number two. Two-word prayer story number two. Just turn the page over to chapter 15. Chapter 15, just a few pages over. Matthew 15, drop down to verse 21. What's the two-word prayer? We're trying to find this two-word prayer. See if you can spot it. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan. Let me tell you something. That woman is a pagan. She is raw. She is not of the saved. She's not of the community of faith. She is a pagan, a godless pagan. And behold, a woman of Canaan, verse 22, came from that region and cried out. She cried out to him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed. But Jesus does something totally uncharacteristic of the compassionate nature you and I have come to know him as. And he answered her, verse 23, but he answered her not a word to the place. Because in the Greek, in the Greek, the tense of the of the Greek verb here indicates it wasn't just one time she said have mercy. She's saying, oh Lord, have mercy. Son of David, have mercy. It's repetitious over and over. Have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. And she's driving the guys crazy and finally the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, what's up with this? Please do something. And that's what they're saying here in verse 23. His disciples came and urged him saying, send her away for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Is he talking about the disciples or is he talking about her? A mystery. We don't know. And then she came and worshipped. Now the Greek is clear that in order to do this verb, worship, she has to go on her hands and knees. And she came on her hands and knees and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, hey, look, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Have mercy on me, a dog, Lord. Give me something. Jesus, I'm sure tears of joy just welled up in his eye. And, you know, his vision goes blurry as he's looking into this pagan's face. And he says, oh, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you, de- as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Story number three of that two-word prayer. Turn to one more page again to Matthew 17. Four stories in rapid-fire succession. Drop down to verse 14. Matthew 17, verse 14. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him kneeling down. Have you noticed the posture of... Have you noticed the posture? She goes down on her hands and knees. He goes down on his hands and knees. A man comes to him. You know why? Because they're both parents. And that is the posture of most parents who go to Jesus about their children. Hands and knees. He's a dad now. We just saw a mom. Watch the dad. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy. On my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and, and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Now I want you to catch a little bit of the desperation. Much more dramatic, that desperation in the Gospel of St. Mark. And so hold your finger right here, because we have one more story in Matthew. But just go over to Mark chapter 9. We'll let Mark finish the story, because we want to sense the pathos, of the psyche of this desperate father. So you go over to Mark 9. 
And in the Pew Bible, that would be page 680. Take a look at this. Keep your finger right where it was in Matthew. Verse 20. So Mark, we'll pick up Mark's story right where we left it off in Matthew's story. Verse 20. And then they brought him, the boy, to him, Jesus. And when he, the boy, saw him, Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to your boy? Sounds like a doctor. Physical examination, isn't it? How long has this been going on? And immediately, the father says, from childhood, verse 22, and the father goes on, and often he, the spirit, has thrown him, my boy, both, both into the fire and into the water to destroy. But look, look, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, you, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, what are you talking about? If me, if you, he quotes him right back, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately, that father of the child cried out and said with tears. I want you to mark that word tears. How many of you have parents? Should be most of us. <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what tears are? They are the pathology of parental desperation. Tears are the very nature of parental desperation. You got a mama at home? You got a papa at home? Let me tell you something. I don't even have to ask them. They know. They know the meaning of tears. The mother cries. The daddy cries. I've seen dads cry. It's not a pretty sight. It's bad. It's bad when a man cries. It's good for him to cry. It just doesn't look good. <laughs> and Papa bursts into tears. This is, so, this is so touching. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. You've got to help my unbelief. Please. And when Jesus saw that the people were, came running together, I'm not going to make a show out of this. Jesus says, let's quick, let's get to action. Jesus, what, what is this, verse 25. Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsing the boy greatly, and came out of him. And the boy became as one dead, so that those standing by said, he is dead. Too late. But Jesus, mercy took him by the hand. And lifted him up. And he arose. Story number four of the two-word prayer. Go back to Matthew. Matthew, last story, Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20. Four stories in one gospel. Two words, one prayer. Matthew chapter 20, drop down to verse 29. And now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. That would be Jesus. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road. Hey, wait a minute. Are these the same two blind men that were in that first story? Impossible. Of course it can't be the same blind men. Those guys see now. There's two more blind men. You know what the deal is? The blind beggars traveled in pairs so that when one goes down, the other can stumble in the darkness to raise the first one back onto his feet. It's a classic case of the blind leading the blind. And it's a paradigm of life around here, isn't it? Huh? So they traveled in twos. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they had heard Jesus was passing by, cried out. There's that cry again. Cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. 
Now, in the story of the mother, the Greek tense indicates she's just saying it over and over and over again. But in this story, the Greek tense is absolutely clear. They get it out only once. You know why? Because as soon as they cry out that two-word prayer, the grumbling crowd has a two-word response. Shut up. And then the multitude, verse 31, warned them that they should be quiet. Hush. Hush your mouth. But they cried out. I love this. But they cried out all the more over the noise of the crowd, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus, above the cacophony of that rabble, Jesus hears the cry. And he stood still. And he called them. And he said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight. And they followed him. There they are, ladies and gentlemen. Four stories. Two words. One prayer. Have you figured out what the uh, two word one prayer is? The prayer that Al Capone prayed on his gravestone. I wish you'd write it down so that you will never forget this prayer again. I need to write it down so that we might earnestly embrace this prayer for the rest of our lives. Write it down right now, the two-word prayer. Take your study guide out. you got a study guide in your worship bulletin? Grab it right now, please. Ushers, thank you for making sure that everybody here gets one. Hold your hand up. If you don't have a study guide, way in the balcony, up here at front. doesn't matter. Just, they're coming both directions, so just hold your hand up and we'll make sure you get it. And while they're doing that, I want to say to those of you watching right now, if you go to our website, let me put it on the screen for you. There it is, www.pmchurch.tv. That's our website, Pioneer Memorial Church, pmchurch.tv. Go to our, our new series called Mercy Came a Runnin'. And when you go to that series, you want to click on to this teaching. This is called The Two-Word Prayer. You'll see right there the word study guide. Click on to that word study guide and you'll have the same study, the, the, the same, uh, study guide we have right here. give you a second to do that. Those of you watching, if you're on a DVD right now, just hit that pause, get it, and uh, pick it right up with us, please. All right, right there at the top of the study guide, jot it down, please. Al Capone, the prayer of Al Capone, my Jesus, mercy, mercy. Write it down. Four stories, two words, one prayer. What, a, what, what is that one prayer? Say it out loud with me. Have mercy. Have mercy. Would you please write that down? My Jesus, have mercy. You know what mercy is, don't you? You know what you're saying when you say have mercy? You're saying, you're saying hey, look, it. don't give me what I deserve. Give me what I desperately need. Don't give me what I deserve. I know what I deserve. I don't need another voice telling me. Everybody's telling me. I'm asking for what I don't deserve. That's mercy. That's what I need. Question is, when in life should we pray this prayer? When in life. Okay, let's go back to the four stories. Boom, boom, boom. We're not going to look them up now because you already know the story. Story number one tells us the answer. When in life should I pray this prayer? When you cannot behold. That's one word. Fill it in, please. When you cannot see. When you cannot behold. That's when you pray the prayer. Have mercy. You know, it's like driving. Don't you just love winter thaw? I mean, you're driving down the highway. It's a two-lane highway. And an 18 wheelers in front of you. Doesn't that just bug you? Because one half of those 18 wheels, nine, nine of those tires are hitting every mucky brown puddle between here and your destination. And when they hit that muck, where does it end up? Splattered all over you. All over the windshield. Or as our friends from England would say, all over the windscreen. 
pray the prayer. When personal guilt and sin have morally blinded you, you cannot even behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the time to cry out, Lord, you've got to have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. I can't see. I love this line. It describes the face that the two blind men saw. The very first vision they saw when their eyes were open. And this line is in your study guide. Isn't this great? Never. You see that word? I wish you'd circle the word never. Never. Circle that word never. Never does that kindly face and that arm of strength, speaking of Jesus, turn from the supplicating hands that are stretched out for mercy. Isn't that great? Never. You want one prayer that God will always answer? Do you want a prayer that God will always answer? It's the prayer for mercy. Always. You want mercy? I have mercy on you, boy. I have mercy on you, girl. Never. Never will he turn away. Oh, my Jesus, have mercy. And by the way, you know, in Matthew, in between these stories, there's a story about Peter walking on the water. You remember Peter on the stormy night? He's walking on water. He says, Jesus, call me. And so... Jesus says, come on, boy. And Peter gets out. Middle of the night. You remember that? And then he takes his eyes off of Jesus. And what happens to him? Refresh my memory. What happens to him? Psh! He thinks he's going down to Davy Jones' locker, right? And he cries out a two-word prayer. You know what that two-word prayer was? Lord, save me. I want to tell you something, guys. If you ever forget the words, have mercy, you can know that their synonym prayer is, save me. It's the same prayer. Have mercy. Save me. Save. So that's the two-word prayer to pray. When should I pray this two-word prayer? When you cannot behold. Story number two, when you cannot be helped. Write that in as well. Pray the prayer. When you cannot be helped. You've turned to help from, to everyone you can think of. Your psychiatrists, your counselors, your doctors, the bank, the church. But that which is dear to you is slipping away and there's no one left to whom you can turn. That's the time to pray this prayer. Have mercy on me, son of David. Have mercy. Because truth be known, hey, look, look, look. The truth, truth is, we know this, don't we? Like that Syrophoenician mother, it may sometimes appear, appear that your pleading and sobbing are falling on even deaf ears up there. Come on, I know. You know that. There are times when it seems nobody will hear, not even God himself. But you know what, guys? Let's take a, play, let's take a page out of this desperate mother's playbook. And like the Greek tense indicates, let's just keep repeating the prayer and repeating it until you get the answer. You just have mercy, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy on me. Have mercy. Surely, just like in that story of the mama, surely, 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 the Christ who at least appears to be walking by, surely... He will be accosted by your desperation. My sobbing, surely he will stop and stoop where we've thrown ourselves to block his path. Surely he will stop and have mercy. So you pray that prayer when you can't be helped. Philip Yancey. Oh boy, this, I, I wish I could get this book for you. It's his provocative brand new book. Philip Yancey's new book, Prayer, Does It Make Any Difference? We're brooding over this book in House of Prayer, by the way, on Wednesday nights. Love to have you come and join us. It's just very provocative. Yancey is totally transparent as he struggles with the reality of prayer. And which of us hasn't struggled with prayer? But Yancey, he's dealing with prayer. And he's, and he's recalling that story where Abraham with the mantled stranger. You remember the, remember the stranger that showed up 
outside of his tent one day and he, he gave him, you know, gave him that meal. And then the other two leave. And so it's just Abraham alone with that mantled stranger. And the mantled stranger says, I'm going down to Sodom to figure out what I'm going to do with this city. And Abraham realizes his nephew, his one boy, is there. And so Abraham begins to barter with God. Do you remember that story? Just, he said, okay, God, look, look, look. I know this is very important what's happened down in Sodom. If there are 50 people there, would you save the city if there are 50? And God looks, the mantle stranger looks out of those shadows into the face of this man who's bartering with him. He says, I'll, I'll, I'll give you Sodom for 50. And Abraham realizes, man, that was easy. Let me go down five. He says, how about if there are 45? Will you save it for 45? And the mantle stranger looks back and says, I'll give it to you for 45. And Abraham says, well... I'm really dumb. Let me, let me ask you one more time. How about for 40? And just like that, the mantle straight says, you can have it for 40. And suddenly Abraham realizes he's winning in this bartering. And so instead of in increments of five, he now jumps to increments of 10. I'm dropping it down to 30. Would you save Sodom for 30? I'll save it for 30. Would you save it for 20? I'll save it for 20. Oh, God, don't strike me dead. Please, I'm just ashes. But would you save it for 10? And the mantle stranger looked straight into his face and he said, I'll save it for 10. And there's this pause. And Yancey wonders, could it be the mantled stranger saying, you want to go any lower? You want to go any lower? What if Abraham had gone down to one? I got a boy. So now Yancey's writing. It's in your study guide. This is great. Watch. Look, was God so quick to concede each point, actually looking for an advocate, a human being bold enough to express God's own deepest instinct of mercy? Oh, we should just circle that. God's deepest instinct of mercy. The answer goes on. God invites argument and struggle from you and me and often yields, especially when the point of contention is God's mercy. Hold on. He's quoting this, somebody named Archbishop Trench. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. I like this. Prayer is laying hold of God's highest willingness. Isn't that great? Because you have to talk me into it. I already am mercy. I want to do what you're asking. Ask me. Have mercy. Have mercy. Wow. And so a desperate mother... Kept on pleading, have mercy on me, son of David. You've got to have mercy. And finally, tears in his eyes. He says, woman, great is your faith. I have mercy on you. Go. It's okay. You win. Mercy comes a-running. You win. So when do you pray this prayer? You pray this prayer when you can't behold. You pray this prayer when you can't be helped. And story number three, you pray this prayer when you can't believe. Write it down. You can't believe. Living in this academic environment as we do, we must be honest and confess that at times it is hard to believe. Hard to know what to believe at times. Hard to know how to believe at times. I received a card from one of our viewers out on the West Coast just this last week. He'd written and asked for a book. A little book built to last, so we sent him the book, got the card back. Skip the first couple paragraphs, Pastor Nelson. Although I believe in a higher power, I am still an angry agnostic due to the horrible life of my... And then he describes a loved one of his and what that loved one has had to endure. Consequently, I am continually looking for answers. Signs his name. The third story is about a father who says, you know what? I don't believe. 
I believe, but you've got to help my unbelief. Don't you suppose, ladies and gentlemen, that God actually responds to such transparency? Don't you think it just moves the heart of God when you're honest with me? The problem is when you and I pray, we're never honest with God. That's the problem. We always think we've got to come to God as the way we think God wants us to be when we come to Him. And so we put on this charade. And God says, who are you fooling? C.S. Lewis, you have this in your study guide. This is so great. C.S. Lewis, he says, The prayer preceding all prayers is this. May it be the real I who speaks. No games, God. No games. May it be the real I who speaks. And may it be the real thou that I speak to. I talk to the real God. Not this caricature. I I make a caricature of me. I make a caricature of him. And we have these little caricatures. Going through this play acting. No. Yancey commenting on that prayer. Look at this. You got it in your study guide. Prayer invites me to lower defenses and present the self that no other person fully knows to a God who already knows. You don't have to play with Him. You don't have to play a game with Him. He knows who you are. He knows what you're like. Be honest. Come to mercy. Like that Father. Oh, I believe. I believe. But help my unbelief. God says, bring it to me. Come as you are. When I couldn't go to mercy, mercy came running to me. Two-word prayer. Surely the mercy of God is for universities like us. Two-word prayer. You pray this prayer when you cannot be whole. You pray this prayer when you cannot be helped. You pray this prayer when you cannot believe. And you pray this prayer when you cannot be heard. Write it down. That's that fourth story. When you cannot be heard. I didn't know her. I don't, I don't imagine you did either. But I, I'm going to tell you something. Just be honest here. I have felt such a sense of sadness over the tragic death and even more tragic life of Anna Nicole Smith. I mean, Newsweek magazine you know, carried a story on her, and, and they showed a picture of her when she was in Texas as a young mother and wife. And I tell you what, she's, she's just a garden variety woman next door. She's just... That's all she was. An average, commoner woman. But who becomes driven by a fiend. Hungry for acceptance. Hungry for love. Hungry for popularity, fame, and fortune. Give me that. Vanity, vanity, vanity. All is vanity. Anna Nicole Smith became a third millennial embodiment of Ecclesiastes' forlorn obituary. There she is. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Did any of the men who now claim paternity rights to her surviving baby, that surviving baby daughter, a baby crying for somebody to say, I am your daddy. (laughs) Did any of the men 
You, you think about this, guys. I mean, this, you just can't believe this, this. This soap opera is just a circus. Did any of the men who now claim paternity rights to her surviving baby daughter ever get close enough to Anna Nicole Smith to satisfy her pleading for love? Did they know what she was hungry for? It was not sex. It was love. Somebody loved me. And so she's screaming. But the paparazzi and the noisy crowd that ever dogged her spiked heels drowned out her sobs for mercy. Could that be it? But then doesn't that fourth story tell us there is someone who can hear above the cacophony of the crowd the, the whispered prayer for mercy? My Jesus, mercy, praise the gravestone of Al Capone. Could it be the contested body still in the morgue of Anna Nicole Smith? Praise the same today. And could it be that in the words of Frederick Faber, there's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in God's justice which is more than liberty. Could it be true in that second stanza of His that the love of God is broader than the measure of man's mind and the heart of the eternal, the infinite, the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind? Could it be there's room in the pew for one more? Anna Nicole. There is welcome for the sinner and more gracious for the good. There is mercy with the Savior. There is healing in His blood. And could it be, finally I ask you, could it be that we are just as much in need of mercy today as Al Capone and Anna Nicole Smith, you and me? My Jesus, mercy! I mean, didn't Jesus tell a story once upon a time about two men who went to church on Sabbath? Didn't he tell a story about that? Didn't he tell a story about that one? The self-righteous one who stood up in church and he cried out, Oh God, I thank you that I am not like Al Capone and Anna Nicole Smith. I tithe. Stewardship is my thing. I eat carefully. Diet is my thing. And I thank you that I'm not like other men and women and like that sinner sitting in the back row of this church. Didn't Jesus' story, come on, come on, didn't Jesus' story also tell about the sinner in the back row of the church that Sabbath who beat his heart and during the closing hymn could not even raise his eyes heavenward but sobbed quietly into the sleeve of his jacket. Oh God, be merciful, be merciful to me, a sinner. My Jesus, mercy, have mercy on me. And didn't, come on, and didn't the story of Jesus end with the punchline that the likes of Anna Nicole Smith and Al Capone got saved while the, while the likes of that self-righteous prig got lost? What made the difference? You want to know what made the difference? You want to know what made the difference? The two-word prayer. Because only sinners plead for mercy. 
And only for sinners can mercy plead. Have mercy upon me, O God. And according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. My Jesus, mercy, please, I beg of you, have mercy on me. Oh God, Holy Father, have mercy on us. Jesus' story is right. We all ended up in church today. And the truth about both worshipers, they were each desperately in need of mercy. Holy God, please have mercy on us. If there is a sinner here today, like Al Capone, or like Anna Nicole Smith, and you're in need of mercy, I'd like to invite you to stand and send this two-word prayer to heaven right now. Holy Father, we have got to go home today saved from worship. Whichever one we are, In Jesus' story, whichever one we are, Capone or Smith, it doesn't matter. We stand with a prayer. Have mercy, O God, upon us. Amen.